Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial to our dozens of listeners. Go to freshbooks.com/fool and in the how did you hear about us section, just enter Motley Fool. It's Thursday, October 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Supernova and Rule Breakers, David Kretzman. Happy Thursday. Good to be here, Chris. Big earnings day. Yeah, slightly. We got, we got a lot. There are like 10 different companies we're going to talk about, but we're not going to do that. Uh, we are going to talk restaurants. We are going to talk robots. And of course, we're going to wrap up Candy Week here on Market Foolery. We got some great email. Our listeners are the best. We got some great they really e- are. email on uh, overrated and underrated candy. We got to start though with Twitter because shares of Twitter are up 15% this morning. The third quarter revenue came in higher than expected. They raised guidance for the fourth quarter. They this has been a long time coming. If you're a Twitter shareholder, you're having a good day, and it's been a long time since you've had a day like this. Yeah, and honestly, I think part of it, going back to our IBM conversation last week, it really helps when expectations are low. You have a low bar to, to jump over, and I think that's part of what Twitter is dealing with, because their sales were still down 4% this quarter, so they are still shrinking, but that the the pace of sales declines is slowing so that that's a plus last quarter is down 5% so that's improving and they're also really improving their expense management uh their their gap expenses uh we're down 16%. So it's nice when you can cut costs more than your sales are dropping. So they are getting closer and closer to gap profitability. They're still not quite there, but they think within the next couple quarters they they could hit that mark. So yeah, in general, a lot of things moving the right direction for Twitter, although there's still a lot of room for improvement, but their daily active users are up 14%, so they're just finding ways to increase engagement on that platform, which is obviously what they need right now. It absolutely is. And when you think about what's driving the revenue, when you think about advertising, I think that part of what helps them, part of why I think there is some optimism about the next six months uh, particularly if they get to profitability next quarter or the one after that, is one of the things a quarter like this does is it makes people whose job it is to control large advertising budgets, it makes them think twice about just skipping Twitter. There was a, a good stretch of time where Twitter was, if not outright ignored by a lot of uh, ad companies and ad firms and just major brands, that sort of thing. This this keeps them in the conversation, particularly as you mentioned the growth in users. When you can add a few million users, that makes it more likely that advertisers are going to come your way. Yeah, and ad engagement on the platform almost doubled this quarter. The cost per engagement was down about 50%, but still, in general, moving the right direction, the volume of engagement, people are seeing more ads, which uh, is obviously the direction it needs to go. They are pushing more and more into live video. This past quarter, they streamed 830 events. For the life of me, I don't know where to go on Twitter to find the live video. Uh, and I feel like I'm a semi-smart guy. Like I've, I can use Snapchat, which is supposed to be <laughs> the most complicated, you know, social media app out there. But Twitter, for the life of me, I can't figure out where they host the live video on their platform. And even people who are diehard Twitter users, like JMO yeah. here at Full HQ, even he has a hard time finding it. It's like, guys. It, Discovering live video shouldn't be this hard on your platform when that's supposed to be a key tenant of your strategy. Absolutely, I it, and I, I can't remember if it was on Market Fuller or Motley Fool Money. Jason had mentioned that recently, and uh, it, it's absolutely true. And I am, in fact, reminded of 
the lack of visibility on their video strategy every time I open up Twitter on the desktop because it automatic when I go to Twitter it automatically opens up um, a video screen on the right hand side of the page and so whatever is the thing you mentioned how many 800 what 830 830 okay so when I open up Twitter on desktop whatever is the one live video that they're promoting at that moment sometimes it is financial news sometimes it's a sporting event if it's the evening that sort of thing if it's got my attention I'll start watching it, but every single time, whether I watch it or not, I am reminded of the fact of, oh yeah, there's still no, <laughs> there's still no central section for video where I can just click through and just say, well, what else? I know you're streaming other stuff live. Where can I find it? It seems like a no-brainer because they are testing other uh, ways to increase user engagement. Just test different things around there. They're they're testing longer character limits. Took them 11 years to figure out that oh, people actually max out their 140 characters in Twitter when they have all sorts of numbers and symbols, trying to squeeze as much right. <laughs> possible into 140 characters. So they are starting to at least test rolling out uh, longer character limits, going up to 280 characters. So essentially doubling the the number of characters you can put in your your quality Twitter Twitter posts. But in general, though, I I, I do. This is the most optimistic I've been about Twitter in a while. For a long time, this has been an easy company to to hate on, but they are controlling their stock-based compensation, their other expenses, uh, bringing their expenses in general just in, into a better position, better contained. They have $2.5 billion of net cash on the balance sheet. They are more and more free cash flow positive, and that's not just due to stock-based compensation. And they are getting closer to gap profitability. So, in general, I think the company is in a stronger position today, even though sales are still dropping, but I think there are better days ahead. I'm glad you mentioned the compensation, because that was one pretty significant reason why, a year ago, two years ago, Plenty of smart people looked at Twitter and thought that company is going to be bought because they can't maintain the path they're on right now. And a big part of that was the stock-based compensation. And it's still high. Uh, like last year, it was about 25% of total sales that that was made up of stock-based compensation, which is very high. Alphabet, for comparison, was like seven or eight percent. Facebook was 15%. And I'm not sure where Facebook is at this year, but now Twitter has gotten that number down to 17%. So it's still on the high end of the spectrum. The diluted share count is still almost growing 1% each quarter, but that number has bit by bit uh, decelerated. So moving in the right direction, but still some work to do. Buffalo Wild Wings third quarter earnings came in so much higher than anyone was expecting, possibly even them. the stock's up 20% today, and they're doing a great job of cutting costs. And I don't think Sally Smith is rethinking her decision to leave as CEO, which she announced on, I think it was June 2nd. But uh, this is, I don't know if this is her last full quarter in the corner office, but if it is, this is a hell of a swan song. At least, yeah, higher note to go out on rather than essentially getting booted out by Mercado Capital, the geniuses who have uh, well, they, since I, driven the stock down 20%. Yeah, they didn't boot her out. They, <laughs> right. they, they got seats on the board and she said, I see where this is going and I'm going to, I feel good about my resume, so I'm going to exit stage left. Right. Yeah, and I, I don't blame her because uh, I, I think. Mercado came in with a very short-sighted strategy. They essentially want to 
go almost 90% uh, franchising model, uh, which I think they tried to do with Applebee's a few years back, and that they basically ran that into the ground. didn't didn't go all that well. So it's like, okay, your track record with restaurants is not all that great. But uh, and I think Buffalo Wild Wings here, similar to Twitter, is benefiting from low expectations. You know, the stock was down well over 25% since June when Mercado did uh, gain those board seats and uh, essentially gain more control over the the future direction of the company. Because Buffalo Wild Wings is still seeing declines in same store sales, seeing a lot of the headwinds that many casual diners in the U.S. are are facing. Buffalo Wild Wings has an extra headwind in the form of traditional chicken wing prices, which makes up almost 30% of their total cost of sales. And traditional Those wing, are going up. Yeah, those are going up. Over the past year, up 26%. So, when essentially your main cost item is going up at that pace, it's going to be hard to put up any decent numbers. So, I think part of the, the issues that Buffalo Wild Wings has experienced, and part of the reason why Mercado targeted them, you can probably attribute some of those problems just to facing such high chicken wing prices. Because as soon as those prices go down, you're going to see an instant improvement in margins just about overnight. But in the meantime, they are transitioning from a focus on traditional wings to boneless wings, which have a lower price point. Uh, their Tuesday wing promotions are now focusing on boneless wings almost entirely, at least in their company-owned stores, and they're rolling that out to the franchisees soon. So they're trying to find different ways to uh, keep customers coming back into the into the stores, but going toward some higher margin products. And they're also seeing a strong uh, strong improvements with takeout and delivery that now makes up 19% of total sales. They have a Blazin Rewards loyalty program, which has 3.5 million members. So, they're trying to push out more personalized offerings to those members. So, I do like how they are positioning themselves for when that time comes that chicken wing prices uh, fall back to earth. And you know, the, the restaurant sector in general actually uh, has some tailwinds rather than the, the constant headwinds of the past couple of years. Where are you on the spiciness scale? I think, if I'm remembering correctly, on the menu at Buffalo Wild Wings, they have 21, I think it's 21 different sauces, and they range in how hot they are. Right, right. So, where are you in terms of like how spicy? If you're, if you're digging into wing, well, you're 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 not a chicken wing guy. But, I'm, I'm not. But, but when, but it, I comes, when it just spice. comes to your palate in general, where are you on a scale of one to twenty-one? I, I feel like I always overestimate how spicy I like things. So realistically, I'm probably ten or eleven, but I would probably try a fifteen and regret it instantly. <laughs> regret it instantly. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Reach for the water <laughs> right. and the bread, yes. and then dial it back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pr- I'm probably somewhere in the low teens. Uh-huh. Um, but I've certainly had experiences in my life where I have, I have done that move where it's like, yeah, I'll try that, and then instant regret kicks yep. in. iRobot's third quarter profits. Help me understand this, please, because their third quarter profits were up big. They raised guidance. They're growing revenue 20, more than twenty percent year over year, and the stock is down fifteen percent this week. What happened? Yeah, it, help it, us, America. What happened to iRobot? I, I'm still trying to figure this out. This is puzzling. I think part of it was a lofty valuation. So, in contrast to Twitter and Buffalo Wild Wings, which are beaten down companies, low expectations, iRobot was trading for a PE multiple of over 40. So, the valuation was lofty. Expectations were, were high. And the company has been getting a lot more attention uh, over the past year or two. Uh, well deserved, but expectations went up as a result. 
I think part of the issue here is uh, growing pressure for the company in China, where they've only operated for a couple years, and China still makes up less than five percent of their total revenue. But revenue in China this year will be down twenty-five to thirty percent, and and a large part of that is due to increased competition on the lower end of the robot vacuum price spectrum. So you're you're seeing more and more Chinese manufacturers competing with those lower price robot vacuums. And you're starting to see some of that trickle into the U.S. as well. You have the Shark Ninja came out this summer. Great name. Hey, you got a solid name. I don't know if it can match the the brand power that that Roomba has because iRobot through that Roomba brand really has developed a nice brand following, a lot of brand awareness. So I don't think it'll uh, it, it, that'll be easy to match right away. So I think anyway, you're seeing some of that uh, price competition uh, maybe trickle over from China into the U.S. Then also looking at the guidance, so they raised guidance. They're expecting earnings per share now to be between a dollar sixty and two dollars for the full 2017 year. But right now they're uh, trailing 12 months EPS earnings per share is two dollars ten cents. So essentially they're they're guiding for earnings to drop uh, from where they are due to the fourth quarter. So. But at the same time, they're they're guiding for revenue to grow at least forty five percent in the fourth quarter. But they're also guiding for earnings to take a pretty substantial hit. I'm not entirely sure why that is. It could be R and D, a marketing expense, something else. But uh, when you're guiding for earnings to drop from where they are, uh, that that kind of lowers the the floor on the stock. So that could be part of it. And that that's a double ding for when you already have a higher valuation. So I think that. Could be uh, part of what the company is dealing with, but looking longer term, this is a company that that now is entirely focused on the consumer facing brands. They used to have a military division, which, from a cultural perspective, it just didn't work very well. I, I read an interview with uh, the founder and CEO uh, where he said that, like the the military and consumer divisions at iRobot they're actually competing against each other in a way. Just from a cultural perspective, not not a very healthy way to go. But now they're entirely focused on that uh, consumer facing side. Uh, still less than ten percent market penetration in the U.S., which is their biggest market with the Roomba. So as Connected homes become more of a thing as people look to automate more cleaning in and around the house. I think Roomba still is in a in a positive position, but how they compete against these lower price competitors that'll be a key thing to watch. Am I the only one who thinks that a military type of robot vacuum would just be better and stronger and more effective than a regular one? It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's like military it's, grade. It's mil- if it's a military grade vacuum, I maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's just going to do a better job of cleaning. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there, there was a tie in there. Let's go back to the guidance for one second, because I was struck by the range that you mentioned that they laid out. $1.60 to $2 a share. That seems like a big... I mean, put aside for a moment the, the fact that to hit that range, they would have their earnings would have to drop. Let's just put that aside for a moment. Am I the only one who thinks that's a really wide range? That's like you can't get more specific than that. I, I think they could get more specific. You have to keep in mind that this is a smaller company; they're operating globally, so you, there there are a lot of different variables here. Uh, they they probably just don't want to. 
I don't know. The companies will have different uh, you know, management teams will have different philosophies here. Some will mm-hmm. guide down to the penny, and others will leave this large range. And often, you know, ideally, you underpromise and overdeliver right. with these kind of results. But in this case, when you only have one more quarter, you would think you could have a, a little bit tighter range than one sixty to two dollars. But hey, management teams—they uh, choose how they roll. All right. Before we dig into the full mailbag, I want to say thanks to FreshBooks for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. The nature of work is changing. The internet has enabled more people to start their own businesses and become self-employed contractors. As I said the other day, that's great. But if you're going to start your own business, that means you got to keep the books, and that's where FreshBooks comes in. FreshBooks is accounting software for people who hate accounting. FreshBooks helps you keep track of your time, your billable hours, and the dashboard makes it super easy to generate basic charts to give you a sense of how your business is doing. You can also generate more advanced reports to dig deeper into the numbers. So, if you're starting a small business or you're an independent contractor, if you're a consultant, an attorney, a dog walker, whatever, if you don't want look, if you do want to deal with the headache of accounting, go for it. That wouldn't be my choice because I think that would just give me an enormous headache. But if you don't want to deal with that, you should definitely check out FreshBooks. And for our dozens of listeners, FreshBooks is offering a 30 day free trial. Go to freshbooks.com slash fool. And in the how did you hear about us section, just enter Motley Fool. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. And we've been doing overrated, underrated candy all week. And as usual, the listeners did not disappoint. From Dave Thomas, the O. Henry bar is the most underrated, underappreciated candy bar on the market. From Derek Getz in Delaware, I agree that if introduced today, Twizzlers would not have a shot. It is trading on nostalgia. It instantly made me think that Twizzlers are the IBM of the candy world. Uh, from Carol and Robin, who identify as two of the dozens, overrated Starburst. They are waxy blocks of tongue-curdling sweetness. Underrated, the Uno Bar, a masterpiece of candy inventiveness with an unexpected crunch of salt embedded in a nougat that is somehow airy and satisfying at the same time, all dipped in a thin layer of very tasty, tasty chocolate. Minimalist, elegant, and truly underrated. From Michael Palmer, overrated Reese's Pieces. Fond memories of the movie E.T., so you think you enjoy the candy, even though they are just sad M&Ms. <laughs> Um, which I just love, and I think I think uh, uh, you know to Michael's comment about <laughs> the phrase "sad M and M's" and Carolyn Robin talking about <laughs> waxy blocks of tongue curdling sweetness. I think uh, I, I know that there is a, a corrosive effect in American politics when it comes to negative advertising, and yet emails like this make me want to see. Candy makers take out negative ads on one another. If <laughs> Just all, go for it. Yeah, Duke it out. Yeah. If all of a sudden the Mars company, which makes M and M's, if all of a sudden they just started putting out like these negative ads about how Reese's Pieces were just sad <laughs> imitators. Um, speaking of which, by the way, I should mention this weekend on Motley Fool Money, our guest is uh, uh, just in time for Halloween is uh, Joel Glenn Brenner, um, who wrote. A fabulous book called *The Emperors of Chocolate*, um, and it is about the Mars Company and the Hershey Company, and uh, comparing the two. And it's—I uh, taped the interview with her yesterday, and it was—it was really interesting stuff because they are those. Even though those two companies are in the same business, they are so different. 
one could not be more secretive, and the other is among the most public-facing public companies in America. So, Interesting. Um, what do you got for overrated, underrated candy? We got you. You got. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned you by name yesterday, but I, I did mention uh, Jerry Falani. Yeah. Yeah, uh, who sent us that fabulous box, and it included for you Smarties. I know, and I'm some people. Some people not fans of the Smarties. I think Smarties have been dissed a couple times over the past <laughs> week by fellow analysts at the Fool here. So you know, my feelings are a little hurt by that. But uh, <laughs> I no, Jerry, it... I appreciate it. Thanks for sending those in. That 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 means a lot. I I still enjoy Smarties. They're delicious. I don't hate on Smarties, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, for for this year, I, I was thinking about this because I I'm not a, a very active candy eater, but uh, I, I think Milk Duds is one that I would say is underrated. I just I mean they they are kind of similar texture to Starburst, where they just inevitably half of them get stuck in your teeth and you know they kind of hurt to chew, but they taste good. It's just a whole experience in itself eating the candy. So I'll go with Milk Duds for for underrated. What about overrated? Overrated. I I think it might have been Steve last week who said candy corn, and I totally agree with that. Those, those are just things I never go out of my way to eat, and I just, whenever I do actually pick one up and eat it, I'm I'm never pleasantly surprised. See, I I agree with that. Although one of our listeners um, made the comment that candy corn, essentially making the argument that candy corn isn't overrated because it really only gets rolled out once a year. And so it's not the, it's not being pushed on us all the time. It was it, it was a pretty compelling case, but my only pushback to that would be the point that you just made, which is yeah, no, that's true. It really only gets pushed to us in the fall, right in the lead up to Halloween, and yet anytime I just look and think, well, it's Halloween, it's once a year, I'll just have one or two pieces of this tiny candy. I instantly regret it. Right. Yeah, and I feel like, well, if it's only pushed out around Halloween, that's still being pushed out one time too many. <laughs> <laughs> there are just better options out there. We've been talking about so much candy. Why would you go with candy corn? That's true. It's you know, and that's and that's the thing about um, and and this is uh, I don't think this came up in the interview, but maybe this this happened before the interview when when Joel uh, Glenbrenner and I were talking. But um, but one of the one of the points that she made is that um, candy is an indulgence. And it is an inexpensive indulgence, and that's that's you know one of the reasons why candy is popular, uh, because it's not just for kids. There are you know adults will indulge in it as well. So anyway, um, keep the emails coming. Marketfoolery at fool.com. Not just about candy. You can send us questions about stocks as well. David Kretzman, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.